So as we take up our offering today, it is uh, Mission Sunday. We take a couple of Sundays in the spring every year to highlight our missionaries. So last Sunday, we had Derek and B here, and they were sharing about what God is doing amongst the First Nations people, and it was wonderful to have them with us. So for two Sundays, we take up a special offering that goes to our missionaries. We have multiple missionary families that we support. So Derek, who was here last week, is one of our families. We also have the Bergs in Austria. We have the Roses working with Gain in Montreal, and then we have the Juicies, who are uh, here at home continuing to minister through Zoom and, and engaging in the church in Thailand over there. And so as you are giving, we are asking you uh, to designate what you give this Sunday to missions. And so if you're giving online, the ways you can give are up there on the screen. There's a little drop box there where you can decide whether you're giving to the budget or to missions. And then as well, there are envelopes in the front where you can check off missions. And if you're giving a paper offering, you can give that in the back in the black box by the door that says give. And we're going to hear just for a few minutes before we get to the word this morning, uh, and you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 as we get ready to jump into the word today, but we are going to hear from one of our missionaries with uh, Henry Peters, so we mentioned last week Henry is the new head of our missions team, and so I'll invite Henry to come up, and we're going to invite Somdi to come up as well and just share a bit of an update about what God is doing there. So would you welcome these guys to the stage? Good morning. I'm going to let Somdi start off and uh, give a little bit of a uh, testimony as to what, uh, what's all going on in Thailand. So. Good morning, folks. Today I um, just let you know that maybe thinking that I am resigned from the multiply, but I'm still in part-time with multiplies, and I would like to let you know that I'm still working at home to uh, training, discipleship training to Thai people and Lao people. And they are very grateful that they're serving the Lord. It's not like you and I serving over here. They have to go house by house. We sit the people house by house. So today is, uh, I would like to, it's no picture. I already keep, anyone that doesn't have this, just slip your hand up. I have a few left in, in the back. So you can grab that. If you already have, it's fine. So what I, the good news is, I would like to tell you today is, Three years ago, I said, after I finished build a church over in Thailand in Pohn Pisai, and I said, in three days, this church will be full. I mean, full with a soul. Amazing. Yesterday, they just called me, and they sent me the picture, but I tried to put it in the screen for you. It's full, and they have sit outside, because no, no sit inside. I only allow them to sit for 60 people. But there are more than 60 people. So this is amazing what God has done over there. Right now, I just said to the, Susan, the fish, the people to go to get to the fish, they have to go when the fish come. You cannot go when the fish not come. In here in Canada, they have a, a, a salmon a smell, a fish, small fish. You have, when they come in April, you have to go and get it. It's the same thing, the word of God. We have to get when it comes. So right now, they just, uh, yesterday, uh, today, today is Sunday, over there is already here past. They have five baptismas. And the week before, they have eight people baptismas. And the church is full. What they want me to go, go to do right now is, I have to go to, uh, my plan is to, we have two villages that we don't need to bring them over to the, the church we build. We want to move the church to that village. 
they can have a service over there on Sunday, and two villages that I plan to go this time to make a service over that. Uh, one village is very big, it's huge. Another one is very small. The one that's small, it get more people saved. So this, this village doesn't have no water, no hydros. Can you imagine the poor people get saved <laughs> more than rich people, Henry? And it's, uh, it is amazing how God working. The people don't have the hydro and the water. They get more people saved. There are already 13 people in that village already. They come to the Lord and get baptized. Now, all, all I have to do is just go in there, prepare the place for them to have a service in that small village. It's amazing. I would like to say, if you said Jesus still alive and you and me, I want to see your hand. Man, that's every one of you. Jesus in your lights. So if Jesus in your lights, the word of God say like this. I am not decide the gift that you give it to me, but I decide the gift that you give to the Lord into your accounts. Philippians 4, 17. Every single dime you give does not belong to me. Belong to Jesus. Amen? Amen? You give to Jesus. Make his work go forward to the place nobody hear about the word of God. When you bring the gospel into that region, people accept. And that's marvelous thing that I want to hear. My desire is for the soul that still live in darkness. As long as I live on this earth, I tell you the truth. That's what I want to save those people. I want to see those people saved and go to heaven like you and me. We all have Jesus in our life. But I ask you faithfully, do whatever the Lord requires you to do. Just keep to the work of him. I want you to go with me. But I cannot do alone. God never be intent for me to do alone. It's always one, all of you sitting here and any area that I can met, people that I met, they believe in God, I'm handing the paper, help me. I need to go. So, if you hear that today, please, I don't want to beg. I already read the word of God to you. It's not belong to me, belong to him. Amen? Amen. Henry, you have anything to say? Yeah. Okay. I, that's all. Can I pray first before I go down? I don't want to leave here without praying for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Fathers, I thank you for you bring here in five minutes, Father God. Let this five minutes that I speak to your people today be alive and well as you are, Lord, Father God, in their lives. Father, I just pray the blessing upon them. Every person that put in your name, Go to you, Lord, Father God, and you bless them. You increase them, Lord, Father God. The word of God said like this. If you bless me, God will be bless you. Father God, I thank you. That word to be go back to them, Father God. Every single uh, dime that they give is belong to them, Father God. I thank you, and I love you, and bless, Lord, Father God, in this moment we praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And the, uh, the Spirit is moving everywhere. We see the Spirit moving here in, in our area, and the fruit that's coming from Thailand right now is, is just amazing. Um, 
you know, the, the church is growing uh, to full capacity already. And, you know, about a year ago, uh, I started working alongside with Samdi in the possibility of going to Thailand with him. And unfortunately, it's, it hasn't uh, happened yet, but we're still in the works, right? And, uh, you know, in that process, I've gotten to hear uh, Samdi's heart and his love for the people of, of Thailand and the people of Laos. Like, he's, he's doing ministry you know, in multiple places out there. We, we hear about uh, Pompasai a lot, but that's only one area. He, he goes through all the surrounding villages. He, you know, and the discipleship that's happening and the, the pastoral training that's taking place, it's, it's just awesome. And, and the church is growing, and, and we can only imagine what the fruit looks like. We only see the one aspect. I've gotten to go on Zoom multiple times with... Uh, with Samdi, with the people of Thai that he's training up. And it's just, the, the spirit is moving. People are, are coming to Christ. And uh, yeah, hearing his heart and his love for God. It's just, it's, it's really uh, moving. Um, if you guys get a chance, he has time. He, he's still working here, from here, but he has time. So take him out for coffee. Hear his stories. Hear the Lord move where he's moving, both here in the Leamington area as well as, as in Thailand. Um, you know, he's going to be going to Thailand here in July. Uh, he's going to be having crusades. Uh, he's going to be working alongside the existing pastors to motivate them, to encourage them, to build them up, to train them. Um, so the work isn't done. There's lots to do. So, you know, um, talk to him. Find out what's all going on. And if you don't have a newsletter yet, he's been handing them out in the back already this morning. Please go and, and find him and, and get one. They're also at the hub, I believe. Is that correct? So, yeah, find out. Let's, uh, let's come beside him. Let's walk behind him. But if you want to take it a step farther uh, to support him, um, you know, there are two different ways to support him. Obviously, you know, we, we use prayer a lot. And... Prayer is, is not a backup plan. We, we undermine what the power of prayer can do, but it's, it's not a backup plan. It's, it's our first line of defense. It's our first line of offense, a little bit like the Leafs last night, if you <laughs> wonder. Um, <laughs> um, but, no, this is, this is how we come into alignment with what God is doing, with part of his vision. It's not our vision, right? So, yeah, prayer. Mindfully place him in your prayers. The next one is, you know, the financial support. You know, the, what you're going to give today uh, to missions is, is going to be divvied up between all the missionaries, and, and that's great. We need that. They need that. But if you want to go above and beyond that and help him, um, there's a few different ways uh, to support him. One, he works through Multiply. So go on the Multiply website and... You know, you can give through there. It's very easy. Just find Samdi on the website. It's no problem. Also, on this newsletter, there is a link on the very bottom. Just punch that in, and it'll go right directly to it, and it's very easy to give. Um, also, uh, if those two ways don't work, you got YouTube, and you can listen to me over and over and over again. <laughs> so, please... Um, yeah, if, if the Lord is moving you to walk alongside with Sandy 
uh, yeah, hear him. With that, I will get off the stage and let Chris take over. Thanks, Henry. And thanks, Somni. And, uh, and both these guys will be hanging around today after the service. So if you have any questions, you can go to them as well. And uh, yeah, we're going to be in Galatians 1 today. I think I said that already. And uh, I do, as Henry said, I do see some Leaf jerseys out there uh, celebrating today. And as I was reading this morning, every article talked about for the first time in 19 years, the Leafs have got out of the first round of the playoff. For the first time in 19 years. For the first time in 19 years. And then I just felt really old and sad because I, I remember when that happened, sort of, because it was a long time ago. Um, as we jump into Galatians, uh, we're going to be starting a new series that will take us for the, the next uh, number of weeks. But here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Uh, that's a key phrase that we come back to a lot. We talk about next steps a lot. Uh, what are your next steps with Jesus? Every meeting we have, we talk about what are the next steps coming out of this meeting. Uh, we don't have to have the whole thing figured out. We just have to figure out whatever our next steps are. And so we're here at Meadowbrook Church helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, if you're brand new to this or if you've been doing this for a long time or if you're just curious and checking it out or if you're in a season of doubt or struggle or trial, wherever you're at, we want to help you take your next steps. We're here to come alongside you and help you walk along in your journey with Jesus. And we focus on that primarily three ways, upward, inward, and outward. Upward, we're talking about our relationship with him, our knowledge of him, our understanding of him, our connection, our communion with him. We want to help you take your next steps there. Inwardly, we're talking about the change, the transformation that he's working in our lives as we are becoming more like him. We want to be taking our next steps there. And then outwardly, how are we living it out? How are we engaging with other people? How are we sharing the gospel? All of those types of things. We want to be taking our next steps there. And so we're jumping into a new series that we have called the Freedom Gospel. And we're going to just walk through the book of Galatians from start to finish. So we're starting today in Galatians 1 verse 1. Over the next number of weeks, we'll work our way through the book from start to finish. And as we come into summer, uh, we'll all just be experts in Galatians. And as I've been reading through it and preparing for it, I've been going, oh wow, this is such a deep, rich book. Uh, there's so many hard parts in it and challenging parts in it that take some wrestling. There's so much hope and encouragement in there, and so we're excited to jump into this over the next number of weeks as we focus on what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. The word gospel just means good news. That's what the word literally means. Of course, it's become a symbol for us to mean everything that Jesus has done for us, but the word gospel means good news, and I just think the good news is actually really, really, really good news. And I think the good news is actually probably even better than we think it is. And I'm excited to jump into that in Galatians. And I think the good news is also something that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. Because it's really easy to become complacent in it. As we see in Galatians, it's really easy to fall back into old patterns and old ways and old sins. And so there's a freedom that is promised in the good news that we want to recapture in the next number of weeks. And you can be praying with us as we get ready to go through that, as we walk through that together as a church. There was a time in South Africa where there was a system in place called apartheid. If you're old enough, you remember that time. And so for many decades, South Africa lived under this system called apartheid. And in South Africa, uh, the vast majority of people who live there are black, and uh, a small minority were white, but the white, had, white people had come in uh, as they were taking over all of Africa in the 1700s, 1800s. And so uh, even though they were the minority in South Africa, they had all the money, they had all the power. And so what the white South African 
Republicans did was put this system into place called apartheid. And basically, it was just a, a legal, systemized, kind of racist system to keep the races segregated from each other. So we saw similar things in the southern states uh, in the 20th century. But this was much more uh, official and much more intense. And so nationwide, uh, there were white areas, there were black areas, there were white restaurants, there were black restaurants. Uh, the white people, again, just had all the money and had all the power, so in that sense got to make all the decisions. But there was a lot of oppression happening. There was a lot of, yeah, very dark racism kind of built into it. And the whole world was not happy about this system. I mean, it didn't matter. Uh, a lot of this was coming up in the, you know, the 70s and 80s where it was getting really intense. And it didn't matter kind of where you were in the world. Almost every nation on earth was condemning what was happening in South Africa. So it didn't matter if you were a, a NATO country or a, a Russian Soviet country. Uh, everyone was not thrilled about what was going on in South Africa. And so uh, Nelson Mandela was involved in that and, and as things move forward and, and there are good stories to look up and read a bit of that history. Um, I'm telling you all that to share this as we jump into our text today. N.T. Wright uses this as a, a sermon illustration uh, when we jump into Galatians. And so he says, imagine you're living uh, under this rule. Imagine we are living in South Africa under apartheid. Imagine we are there. And imagine you are living under that system, but you are wanting to start a business. And so you decide, I'm going to start a restaurant. And you have this radical idea that I'm going to start a restaurant where all the races can come in and eat together. There's not going to be separate dining areas. There's not going to be separate entrances, separate washrooms. I'm going to start under this racist system. I'm going to create a restaurant where everybody can come together. And, and it's radical at the time. Totally a new idea. And so you start to build your restaurant to that end. And, and you start to get it ready and you start to make your plans. Uh, and then partway through the project, you need to move on to some other business. And so you leave the building in the hands of some other people, some other builders. And then when you come back, you find out that those other builders have come in and they have created a segregated restaurant where you didn't want that to happen. They have created, oh, there's actually two entrances now and there's two dining areas and there's two sets of washrooms. And so everything that you were trying not to do, they have come back in and they have built a restaurant exactly in that situation. N.T. Wright says, that's a fair picture about what the whole book of Galatians is about. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia. These are churches that he has planted and that he has begun building. Uh, he can't pay attention to all churches all the time because he's got a bunch of churches under his care and he was moving around a lot. And so what's happening in Galatia, as we jump into the text, is Paul starts building a church on the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we're going to talk about a lot in the next number of weeks. And as that has happened, as the, as he has started building those churches there, he has moved on then to some other things. Other builders have then come in and they have taken these churches in a very different direction. He has taken, they have taken these churches backwards. They have taken these churches into a place where he didn't want them to go. And so Paul is writing Galatians uh, to the church in Galatia to deal with some of those things that are going on. That they were, they were starting off so well and so strong, and now they're moving back into old things that were not a good way for them to be. And so he's writing this letter to jump in and bring some correction to that. So let's get straight to our text then today. We're in Galatians chapter 1. We're starting in verse 1. And yeah, in this series, we're just going to work our way through the book a little bit at a time. So Galatians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, 
but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's not a light and fluffy book, FYI, as we, as we jump in. Um, and often when Paul starts a letter, it's a little more kind of warm and fuzzy. There's, there's encouragements and things along the way. Uh, he jumps right in here. And uh, Paul would liken himself as an apostle. He would say, oh, it's kind of like, I, I feel like a dad towards you. I feel like a, like a mom towards you. There's a parental care that comes where, you know, you, you love your kids and you, you teach your kids and you instruct your kids. And, and like a parent, sometimes you're frustrated with your kids and sometimes they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sometimes there needs to be correction or discipline and that's part of it as well. And so we're seeing in Galatians a little more of the corrective side of the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's coming from a place of deep love and deep concern, but there are things going on that he needs to fix. And and so as we talk about the gospel, the good news, again, we're going to come back to that just over and over and over again. Uh, my prayer, and you can join me in this prayer, is that we will be refreshed in how good the good news really is. We'll just be refreshed and renewed in the goodness of the good news. We'll be reminded of that goodness as we dig into this. Because for us, the gospel is not a, a religion per se. It is not a philosophy. It is not a doctrine. The good news, the gospel, is a person, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who rose from the dead for us, and who loves us and calls us to follow after him, who did all of that to bring us back to himself. The good news is Jesus. It's all centered on Jesus, on who he is, and on what he has done. So let's walk through our text today, starting in the first couple of verses. The letter starts off, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. So this is a bit backwards from how we do our letters. We usually do our letters, Dear Mike, how are you? You start with the person that you're addressing right away, and then at the end of the letter, at the end of the email, you say, Sincerely, Chris. That's how you wrap it up. In ancient letters, you start off by introducing who you are. And so you start off by saying, hi, I am Chris. I am a pastor at Meadowbrook Church. You just, you issue your, your role, your credentials maybe. Uh, and that's how you establish who you are right off the bat. And so the letter starts, as most letters in the New Testament start, with an apostle introducing themselves. And so Paul starts off by introducing himself. I am Paul. I am an apostle. And he wants to make very clear that he is sent 
from, not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And so he is not coming uh, as part of a denomination or a, a religious organization. Uh, we'll see as we go through Galatians, he was you know, part of the apostles and, and knew them and they knew him. But he wants to make very clear that as he is introducing himself and establishing his credentials, what gives him the right to speak to this church? What gives him the right to be taken seriously by this church? He says, I am Paul. I am an apostle. I have been sent by Jesus Christ. I have been sent by God. I've been called and sent by God. And so the word apostle uh, literally just means a sent one. It's one who is sent out. It's kind of like an ambassador. Their job is to go and to, to share the interests of whatever kingdom they are representing. And so an apostle goes out to share the interests of the kingdom, to build the kingdom, to grow the kingdom. And the word apostle uh, often gets used of the 12 apostles. These were the ones who, who walked with Jesus. There are a few others in the New Testament who also get that title, including Paul and Barnabas and Tim- Timothy and a few others. And so the apostles are, are not just the 12 and, and they are there uh, to build the church. They are, they are pioneers. They are groundbreakers. They are the ones who go ahead. I, I do believe there is still an, apost- an apostolic gift today. No one has the authority of the original apostles, uh, but the gift still exists. It's still needed in the church for people who are starting new things and building new things and planting new things. But as it relates to the original apostles who founded the church, uh, there seems to be two main criteria criteria for what was uh, to designate you as an apostle. Because there's lots of other evangelists, and there's lots of other pastors, there's lots of other teachers. An apostle was, number one, somebody who had borne witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody who had, had personally witnessed the resurrected Lord. And then number two, someone who was called by God specifically to be an apostle. So lots of people witnessed the resurrection who weren't called to be apostles. But you had to be someone who had witnessed the resurrection, and you had to be someone who was called by God specifically to be an apostle. And so even though the apostle Paul was not part of the original group, he had had his experience with the resurrected Lord in Acts chapter 9 as he was riding on the road to Damascus. He saw and heard the risen Lord and everything that went with that. You can read the story in Acts chapter 9 if you want to hear more of his story. And we will actually hear more of Paul's story as we work through Galatians together. So verse 2b, you've introduced yourself to start off your letter. Uh, Now you get to who are you talking to. We are talking to the churches in Galatia. So it's not just one church. Uh, Sometimes the letters of the New Testament come to one specific church. These are to the churches in the region of Galatia. So Galatia is or was a province in the Roman Empire, highlighted in red up there on the screen. Uh, So that's modern-day Turkey. It was a pretty big area. There were significant cities in there. And like lots of other provinces, provinces in the Roman Empire at the time, uh, these are areas that are full of all sorts of, of idol worship, all sorts of emperor worship. They literally worshipped the emperor of the Roman Empire as God, and they would offer worship sacrifices, and they would offer incense, and they would sing worship songs to the emperor. So this is the world that they are living in, and so that is going on in Galatia, and not only that, as we're going to see as we go through the book, there's disagreement and division uh, within the churches themselves. And so this isn't just a one church problem, like when Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, where there's specific things going on in that one church that he's addressing. There are things going on in the region. This is a regional problem. The Galatian churches 
are in trouble. And so Paul writes this letter collectively to the churches. It's going to go to all the churches in the province. Moving on, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul uh, often starts his letters somehow like this, just a few words of blessing. The words grace and peace show up a lot. It's just a a word of blessing. It's a, a God bless you as he begins the letter. May the grace of God be with you. May the peace of God be with you. Uh, it's just a, a nice, friendly way to start a letter. It's a nice, friendly way to, to make that connection, to pray blessing over the people you're about to speak to. So may the grace of God be yours. May the peace of God be yours. And then there's a little sort of snapshot of the gospel in there. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. And so there is, uh, there's just a, a little snapshot of why are we saved? Why are we right with God? Why are we walking in his grace? Why are we walking in his peace? It's because of what Jesus did for us. He gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. He laid his life down for us. And it's interesting because Paul says here, he gave himself for us to rescue us from hell? No. To rescue us from the present age that we live in. And there's times where the Bible talks about being saved from hell, but it just strikes me as I read the Bible and learn the Bible more and more, how often the the sort of evangelistic statements like that in the New Testament aren't about hell. It's not the, the sort of classic message of, hey, do you know where you're going if you die today, which we all heard a lot of in the 20th century. It's not that view of an eternal view of salvation, although it includes that. There's this emphasis on the here and now, that part of the good news of the gospel is that you are united with Jesus for eternity, for sure. But another crucial part of the good news is that you get to be united with him starting right now in this present age. That forgiveness comes right now, that the Holy Spirit comes right now, that you get to know him right now, that you get to walk with him right now, that salvation starts now. It's not just, well, I'm saved, and then one day, hopefully many years from now when I die, then I will get to taste that. It's like, no, you'll get the fullness of it then, but you get to start living it now. He's come to rescue you out of the present age that we're living in. And in the darkness of the world, the confusion of this world, where we don't always know what to do or what's right or or how to find the right way, we have grace to know him and his leading us through these things and through these times. He saves us starting right now. Moving on to verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. You're turning to a different good news, which is actually not good news. You've moved away from good news, and you're moving into something that isn't actually good at all. Now, usually when Paul's writing a letter at this point, he would start off by saying, Hi, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I am writing to the church in wherever. Grace and peace to you. And then he'll usually say something good, like, Oh, I'm so glad of I'm hearing this about you, and isn't that wonderful? There's an encouragement in there. Uh, Not so. He's jumping right into the business with the Galatians. And it's not that there's not encouragement in this book, but he's jumping right into like, I am astonished. You ever had your parent pull you aside and say, I'm astonished at what you are up to. 
I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're turning to different good news, which isn't good news at all. And the word there for desertion, metadi theiste. I said that right, I'm positive. Matadi theiste in the Greek. And the picture is of a soldier deserting the army. Like it's a soldier who's abandoning what they should be doing. It's like that's how strong a word it is. And so there is a desertion happening. Uh, Paul says, you're deserting the one who called you. He might be talking about himself as the one who planted the church and shared the gospel. You're deserting me and what I taught you. He might be talking about Jesus. You're deserting him. You're actually turning away from him. We don't know for sure. Um, But either one of those things, there's strong language being used that there's a desertion happening. You are running away. You are turning away from the good news. And I mean, that's a, a way to start a letter, right? Like that's a way. If you want to get the attention of your audience, you say, get the pleasantries out of the way, right? I am, uh, here's who I am. Here's who you are. Grace and peace and blessing be to you. I'm astonished that you're like soldiers abandoning the army, guys. Like that's how he's jumping in with the, the strength of conviction of what he is concerned about, the desertion that is happening. And he says, you're deserting the one who called you to the grace of Christ. And this is something we'll come back to over and over and over again as we go through this book. The grace of Christ, you were called to live in his grace. And the word grace, it traditionally gets translated or or interpreted as uh, just the undeserved favor of God, the undeserved blessing of the Lord, the thing you don't earn, the blessing of God that comes to you as a gift. So you were called to live in this free gift that Jesus gave to you. And you're leaving that behind. You're leaving aside that free gift. The blessing that came through Jesus, you are deserting it. You are abandoning it. You had this incredible gift given to you by God. The the nature of the good news, which we'll dig into a little deeper in a moment. But you had this wonderful gift given to you, and you're you're blowing it. Like, you're you're leaving it. You're, You're taking that wonderful thing that God gave, the wonderful thing that cost Jesus his life, and you are actually laying it aside to go after what Paul calls a different gospel, a different set of good news, which is actually not good news at all. Now, the phrase a different gospel gets thrown out a lot. Christians criticize each other with it, uh, usually when they don't like what the other person is preaching or saying. And so it's, it's not uncommon to hear preachers or denominations accuse each other of preaching a different gospel. Um, you know, and, and uh, we don't like what you're saying about this or we don't like what you're saying about that. And so that's a different gospel. Uh, and it's, it's kind of handy because it's, there's very strong language defending the gospel here. And so if you don't like what someone's saying, it's a nice way to kind of slime them and paint them in a a darker uh, tone, but that's not a phrase we should just be throwing around. There's a very specific context to this. And so in the example of the ways I have heard it sometimes used, it's not a different gospel uh, if someone is approaching spiritual gifts differently than you are. It's not a different gospel if someone is approaching women in leadership in different ways than you are. It's not a different gospel if someone's approaching how do we approach the Bible or preach the Bible in a different way than you are. It's not a different gospel if someone's approaching atonement theory different or, or any of these other disputable matters that doesn't make it a different gospel. It makes it a different gospel when you're preaching a different gospel, not a different disputable matter, a different way to salvation, a different way to get right with God, a different way to know who he is. There can only be one way 
to get to heaven, Jesus said. There's only one way to understand it. And so what they were doing in Galatia, and as he has uh, you know, laid the foundation of these churches and taught them about the grace of Christ and taught them the good news, and as he has done all of that work and then uh, has moved on, he is hearing that there is a different gospel being preached now. There is a different gospel being shared, and it's not disagreements on preaching style or, or some disputable matters. That's not what makes it a different gospel. We don't just throw that term around. We get a few more clues as we keep going through the text, starting in verse 7. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And so Paul's saying, like, if anyone, even us, he says, even if you hear me preach something different, like, that's how seriously he's taking it. He says, let them be under God's curse. The the fancy word is anathema. You may have heard that term before. Uh, It is anathema. It is an accursed thing. It, it's it's a, a very, very heavy and intense thing. And again, it's not something we throw at somebody uh, because, you know, we preach a different style or we, we approach the word in a different way or, or whatever. It's about the gospel itself. And so Paul says there are people who are coming in and they're preaching different good news. There are others who have come in, and they are actually throwing you into confusion. They are preaching a different message. And so uh, there's disagreement in the early church over what does it mean to follow Jesus. The early church had theological arguments and disagreements. Nothing is new, right? That is just, that has always been there as the church wrestles with Scripture and wrestles with the gospel and wrestles with God and tries to figure out what is truth and what is the right way to go through it. So that's encouraging when we see arguments amongst Christians today. Uh, None of that is new. That's always been there. But as they are wrestling in the first century with what does it mean to follow Jesus, there was a group that emerged that caused a lot of problems for the apostles. And so they get called different things in scripture. Uh, Sometimes they're the Judaizers. Paul would often call them the circumcision group. And it all comes down to how are you saved? Like, how do you get saved? How do you get your sins forgiven? How do you get right with God? How do you get that relationship restored? How do you get welcomed into heaven? And as the gospel good news came, the message was loud and clear. This was the message that Jesus taught and that the apostles taught, is that you're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what Jesus has done. That as Jesus died on the cross, that dealt with every bad thing you ever did. You can't undo your own bad things. Jesus does that for you. And as Jesus rises from the dead, he deals with death for us so that death isn't a problem for us anymore. And then he invites us into life. So it's never about what have I done or what have I not done. The gospel, the good news is that because of everything he's done, I'm good. I'm forgiven. I'm right with God. I'm welcome back to the table. I have eternal life. I'm filled with this Holy Spirit. I have every blessing in Christ, every promise of God fulfilled. The good news is not based on anything I did or anything I didn't do. It's because I've received the gift that comes from him. That's the grace of Christ. It comes as a gift. That's his grace visiting us. So what the Judaizers, what the circumcision group did, is that there's a line that sums it up pretty well in Acts 15.5, because they were wrestling about it through the book of Acts. It says, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of of Moses. 
In order to be saved, the believers have to be circumcised. They have to obey the law of Moses. And so that's where they get the nickname, the circumcision group. And so there was a group of believers. I, I imagine they were sincere believers. So they, they believed in Jesus. Uh, they believed that he died. They believed that he rose again. But they are adding to that and saying, so we follow after Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus. But to be saved, you have to follow the Old Testament commandments, including circumcision. You have to go back to that. And that is how you get right with God. And that is the message that they are sharing. And so Paul says, you're being thrown into confusion because I came in and said, hey, it's about the gift of God in Christ Jesus. It's about the grace of God in Christ Jesus. It's about the gift that he has given you. You receive that, and that's good news. You're right with God because of what Jesus has done. That's good news. And then this group came and said, well, it's not just that, though. You also have to do this, 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 and this. You have to follow the list of commandments. You have to be circumcised. If you don't do those things, you're not saved. And so that's not a problem we're wrestling with in our culture, right? Like we don't have, you know, Derek was here last week saying, oh, by the way, guys, you got to be circumcised, just so you know. Like that's not a wrestling match that we're engaging with anymore. But I think every single one of us can fall into a similar trap of feeling like my standing with God is entirely about his grace and what I do, what I bring to it. Right? I'm right with God if I do the good things. I'm not right with God if I sin today. And I'm always in this kind of back and forth of am I good with God? Am I not good with God? Is he happy with me? Is he angry with me? And we can all fall into a similar sort of view of legalism. So even if it's not literally, oh, we got to go back and follow all these rules, it's about how is your standing with God determined? Is your standing with God, your relationship with God determined by what Jesus did or by what you are doing? And if it's by what you are doing, that's a different gospel. That's a different gospel. And he says, that's a different good news. And it's actually not good news at all. That's really bad news, actually. It's really bad news if I believe that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead, but I still got to do all these things or else. And yet, that doesn't mean that there are no rules or, or commandments anymore either. And we're going to unpack that in more detail as we go through the book. God's law was there in the Old Testament and it revealed God's standard, right? God's commandments. It was do these things, don't do these things. These things we're calling sin. These things are, we're calling holy. And so live a holy life according to this law. And, and we revere God's law. God's law was majestic. God's law is holy. God's law is perfect. Scripture says God law, God's law reveals this beautiful picture of who he is. It reveals his holiness. It reveals his majesty. It reveals his standard. God's law is holy and majestic, and no one has ever been saved ever by following it. That's not what it was there for, and we'll see why it was there for as we go through the series. We call that a teaser. It's going to make you come back for more. You're not saved based on how well you do today or how well you don't do today. You're, you're not less saved or unsaved. The picture really is of marriage. So uh, I am married to Sarah, as you know, and I think we can all agree I'm, I'm kind of a catch. But as we are married, we stood up one day and we made a covenant, right? We said, I'm, I'm committed to you. And it was a covenant that was based in love. It was based in trust. It was based in commitment. And out of that love and out of that trust and out of that commitment, we made a covenant. And as we made that covenant, we were married. 
Now, out of that marriage covenant, I want to do good things for my wife. I want to be a good husband. I want to make her happy. I want to serve her. I want to support her. I want to bless her. She wants to do the same for me. And so we live a life where we we try to do good things for each other. And there are rules in our household. And I don't always follow the rules perfectly, and neither does she. But we're, we're you know, there are standards, and there are things that we are living by, and there are values that we hold to. But I'm not married because I do those things. I do those things because I'm married. I'm not married because I do good things for my wife. And I'm not less married if I screw up today. I'm married because I'm married. right? I'm married because I made a covenant. I'm married because I made that commitment out of love and trust that we made this commitment, hey, we're together. And we're doing this together. And I'm for you and you're for me. And that's why I'm married. And so I don't get more married if I do good things for my wife. I'm not less married if I screw up today. I am married because I'm married. And that's the gospel in a, in a metaphor. You're saved because you're saved. You're saved because you've, you've entered into a similar covenant with Jesus, that out of love and out of trust, you're committed to one another. You said, Jesus, I'm committed to you. Jesus has said he's committed to us. And out of that, you are saved. It's, it's the way things are. And you're not more saved if you do the good things, and you're not less saved if you do the bad things. That would not be good news. Again, that would be bad news. It'd be bad news if we entered into a relationship with Jesus and it was always like hot and cold and back and forth and, and we were reading something as a leadership that talked about, this is kind of a common evangelical idea that says, well, God's too holy to look at sin. And so there's a verse in Isaiah that says he's too holy to look at sin and sin separates us from God. And so the teacher was saying, so as we walk with God now, if we sin, we separate from him and he turns away from us because he can't look at us in our sin. And I said to the staff and I said to the board, I'm not buying that. I think that's a version of a different gospel. I think that is something that is to suggest that what Jesus did for us was not enough. That my sins are washed away, right? I am invited back to the table. But if God's in heaven saying, oh, Chris is doing really well today. All right, I'm happy with him. Oh, he screwed up. No, 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 no. Oh, he's doing better today. Okay, he's doing better. All right, he can come in. All right. Oh, no, 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 he did that. He did that again. And then what does it mean when you're doing good things and bad things on the same day? And and what does it mean for your walk with him? And if the suggestion is that every time I screw up, God turns away from me, it begs the question, well, how do I get him back? If I do 11 good things, does that undo all the bad stuff that I did? That doesn't sound like the gospel to me. That sounds like you're trying to work your way into it. And it's not to say that there aren't good works to do, and it doesn't mean to say that there aren't consequences for our sin, but I just think the good news of the gospel is nothing separates me from God anymore, according to Romans 8. That he invites me to come boldly before his throne, and it's not, come boldly, oh, but you said that thing you shouldn't have today, so back outside, Chris, you gotta wait your turn, and then I'll invite you in again. That's not good news, if that's what the gospel is. What's good news, and what I think the gospel actually is, is that there is no separation, there is no turning away anymore, that my sins have been removed because of what Jesus did, and that's offered to me as a gift that I don't have to earn. 
and that my standing with him has nothing to do with what I did today or not, I am always boldly invited before his throne. I am always unseparated from his love in Christ Jesus. And my sin does have consequences, to be sure, and my good works are something I am called to do. But back to the marriage metaphor, I might have a bad day in my marriage because I'm being a jerk. There are consequences to my actions, but I'm not unmarried or less married. I'm married because I'm married. I'm married because I'm in a covenant with my wife. You are saved because you're in a covenant with Jesus. And what you did today or didn't do today doesn't affect that covenant. That's good news, right? That's good news. Because that means there's grace to stumble and there's grace to struggle and there's grace to grow. And when I do good things in my marriage, I'm not doing it to earn my marriage. I'm doing it because I love my wife and I want to please her. And likewise, in my walk with Jesus, I'm not doing things to earn my salvation. I'm doing good things because I love him and I want to please him. I'm not doing it to earn my salvation. I'm doing it out of gratitude for my salvation, out of the understanding that I have been saved and he has done that good thing for me. And now I want to please him with good works. And when I stumble and when I sin and when I fall, there is grace for me. I am still invited to boldly come before the throne and receive his grace fresh, his loving kindness, his mercies every day. So the problem is, we're going to wrap up in a minute here. The problem is, is there can't be two gospels. There can't be one gospel that says, hey, it's all coming to you as a free gift because of what Jesus has done. And then another gospel that says, yes, Jesus has done good things, but you still have to earn it to a certain extent. And what was happening in Galatia is people were coming in saying, you still have to earn this to a certain extent. There are still things that you must do. And if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you will not be saved. Paul gets angry at this bad teaching. And he's going to use, you know, pictures as we go through this of that slavery, right? You're, you're enslaving yourself to try and do those things. Like, that's slavery. Uh, there's more freedom in this good news than what we have realized. As he wraps up this section, verse 10, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, to be clear, it would be really easy to read these verses, and I think some Christians do, and say, oh, so I get to be a jerk then. I don't have to think about people at all. I don't have to think about my words or be careful about how I treat people. That's not what these verses are about. He's talking specifically about the gospel. So if I was trying to make you happy, maybe I wouldn't be preaching what I'm preaching. If I was trying to, to win people over to a greater extent, maybe I would soften the truth or, or lay aside the truth. And so, yes, if we are uh, not doing things that we know we should be doing because we're worried about people more than we're worried about God, that's where it becomes a problem. That being said, Paul elsewhere would also say, but I, I try to become all things to all people, right? I try to meet people where they're at. He talks an awful lot about love. And in his famous 1 Corinthians 13 passage, he talks about love is not rude, right? It does not boast. And so if I'm being rude, I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christ follower. And so he's talking about as it relates to uh, living out our calling, as it relates to the gospel, I am more interested in making God happy than making you happy. And honestly, that's, that's really a parent's attitude as well, right? Like you, you go, oh, I hate punishing my kids, but sometimes you got to do it, and it's because it's the right thing to do. If I was worried about pleasing my kids more than I was worried about growing them, then I might not discipline them ever, right? Because they don't like it, and I don't like it. So you might just say, hey, neither one of us likes this guy, so why don't we just throw discipline out the window? But you say, no, there's something that has to be done here. And so Paul's saying, I, I got to preach some hard truths to you guys 
Because ultimately, I'm not trying to make you happy right now. I'm trying to make you holy. I'm trying to make you Christ-like. And so I'm going to please God. I'm going to choose God on this one. Don't take that too far uh, and think, oh, that means I don't ever have to consider people or their feelings or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. Come on, up, worship team, as we get ready to wrap up. So we please God always first. It's not an excuse to be a jerk. We are trying to honor God always. And, and if we are ever laying aside what God wants us to do because we're worried about people, that's when we're getting problematic. That's when we're falling into the trap of this one. So as we wrap up today, that's just a bit of an intro. Uh, as I said, not light and fluffy necessarily, but all really important stuff. Uh, again, our struggle in our culture, in our world right now, isn't with the literal circumcision group. Like that's not the nature of our, our thing that we need to be aware of today. That's not, I don't really know Christians who are going around saying, you got to be circumcised, you got to follow all these things or else. But again, the thing we need to watch for is, is there anywhere in our Christian journey where we're making it about what am I earning or what am I accomplishing? Anywhere where we're needing to add to what Jesus has done. Like you are not more or less loved based on what you did today. You're not more or less saved because of what you did today. You're not more or less filled with the spirit because of what you did today. That's, that's all gifted to you because of what Jesus has done, because of what has happened in the cross and in the resurrection. And so just as we reflect, as we get ready to move back into worship, as we're taking our next steps today, upward, inward, outward, here's just a, a few things for you to think about, to ponder, to discuss with others as you go through the week. So in terms of your next steps upwardly in your relationship with the Lord, can you love him and trust him enough to just rest in the gift? To just rest in the grace that you don't have to add a thing. You don't have to do a thing to be loved. You don't have to do a thing to be saved. There are behaviors that are going to come out of that again, and we'll get to that later. But in terms of your, your love that he gives you, the salvation that he gives, the good news of the gospel... Can you this week just rest in that? Just trust and rest in that with him. Inwardly, as we take our next steps inwardly, are there any areas where you are focusing on yourself, where you are striving to, to make something happen, where you are striving to accomplish something? It doesn't mean we don't need to do things in the kingdom, but where you are saying, hey, I got to, to make it happen. If I don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. I got to make this thing go forward. I got to make this thing happen. I got to make this blessing come about. Is there anywhere where that is happening? And again, back to the first point, can you lay that aside and just rest in the gift of God that is given to us in Jesus? And as we think about outwardly, we're going to get much more into this in the weeks to come. Today's just a bit of an intro, but can we be thinking about how do we live out the grace of God? How do we live out obedience to God? How do we live out faithfulness to God without falling into fear, without falling into legalism, without falling into striving and earning? Because there is a call to be obedient. There is a call to live out what he calls us to, but our salvation doesn't depend on it. We don't earn it in that way. So just some food for thought, and I, I always pray, Holy Spirit, keep speaking long after I'm done talking. Uh, we're going to wrap that up today, and we'll move on into the rest of Galatians starting next week. But would you stand with me, please, as we take some time to worship, as we remember the goodness of the good news, as we remember the price that was paid to bring us there, and as we worship Jesus for who he is in all of it.